Let's hit this thing! Come on! That's what I'm talking about! Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it! I'm not. It's really not meant to be funny. It's meant to create a lasting image for us. The world, at the time of the Garden of Eden, was ignited by Satan and by the submission of Adam and Eve to his will. The thing about fire is this. We all love fire. All of you guys in this room that were at a young age intrigued by building fires, burning things. And women, you like fire too. The warm hearthside, a nice wolf gas grill. We all like fire. But the thing about fire is, fire burns us. And that's what Satan wants. He wants to lure us in with the, the idea of it. It's amazing. There's so much that it can do for us. But ultimately, it's there for our destruction. Do you want to open with a prayer? Father in heaven, we pray... Pray that you'd be in this place, and as Opa prayed, of the angels that are protecting us here, keeping our enemy at bay, Lord, we pray once again that in this room, in this place, as we talk about an enemy and a war, Lord, that your spirit would fill this place, that we would come to you, that you would show us that there is a battle, and that we would recognize that we are warriors, and ask the question, on whose side are we fighting on? Your son's glorious heavenly name, we pray it. Amen. This is you for three slides. We are the re- in the reach of Satan's influence. Uh, we're going to talk about a number of things today. Let's read a verse in Galatians that says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle. We fight. We battle. We use an illustration of a sledgehammer today because there's times where Satan likes using the sledgehammer approach. Forceful, heavy, pounding. Think of some of the sledgehammers that have happened in your life. Big events, difficult things, hard, long slogs through the desert. Difficulty. Think about Job. He was hit with a sledgehammer multiple times over the course of one day. And yet, sometimes... It's not a sledgehammer, but a wedge driving us apart little 
by little, millimeter at a time. Satan sees us. He sees the potential in us to carry out his will and his act. What else does he want? At its peak, he wants somebody that completely serves him in a strong way that he can direct their life completely. Now when we're thinking of these goals, if you were to do an image search on who's a Satan worshiper, none of our pictures would come up on Google Images. But have you ever asked yourself, do I carry out Satan's will? Am I a force in the battle for him? Maybe you're not overt and strong, worshiping Satan. But maybe you carry out his will in an active way. You wouldn't ever consider yourself a worshiper of Satan. But maybe you've made choices that are his will, but you would never publicly say that. Because Satan worshiper, that's, that's the worst. That's awful. Take it down another notch. Maybe you've just carried out his will in a, in a subtle way. Not a Satan worshiper. Don't openly serve him. But maybe you've carried out his will subtly. I don't believe these would describe any of us. But Satan's happy to get us however he can. Maybe we'll never be a worshiper, but maybe he's in some ways made us hate God. Maybe there's something that happened that you start questioning. We've grown distant from God. He knows how we're built, so maybe we've never worshipped him, we've never carried out his will, we've never said, I hate God, and, and I don't feel like I've grown distant from him, but has he ever used how you've been built as a person to carry out his goals? That he knows you in a very specific way, that he knows how you tick, and he puts things in front of you that can entice. Maybe he's not done any of those things in your life, but maybe in your church, he's been content to do his work there. Maybe it's an argument. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's a vote. Maybe it's the color of the carpet. Satan will use what he can to create discord. Have you ever loved the world? Have you ever seen things in it that you enjoy and that have taken you even just a step away from God? Have you ever loved the world? You see, all these, as we brainstormed, we thought, what is the worst that could happen? You could be a Satan worshiper. And we started brainstorming and going down, and we realized that Satan's content to even make us question God. Isn't that what he used in Genesis? Did God really say? Have you ever questioned God? Maybe finally it's 
just that you felt a bit of coolness in your love for your brothers and sisters or the lost souls of the earth. Maybe you've been cooled in the passion for them to know God like you do. Satan is content and happy with that. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of flesh. Right before lunch, yeah. You know, my, my father and grandfather were butchers. And when I saw this piece of meat, I thought of them because it's a beautiful cut. A little bit of fat, a little bit of marbling, beautiful, nice tenderness. And it reminded us of a quote that we had heard. This is from a book probably many of you have read, Screwtape Letters. To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours. The increase of our own selfhood at its expense. We want cattle who can finally become food. He, meaning God, wants servants who can finally become sons. It's an anecdote, but it shows us at what length Satan will go to to consume us and to use us as fuel for him. Where does Satan work? He's not one that discriminates too much. We also brainstormed to put together a short list about this. Obviously, via media, via music, via politics, he's active, influential, doing all kinds of things. Closer to home, maybe, at your work. Might be through a very difficult task you're asked to do, or that endlessly irritating coworker that just knows how to drive you crazy. In families, Satan loves to work in families, creating discord, having problems, divisions, aggravations. You know, I often, I look at myself as a dad and I look at the interactions in my family and it's amazing. You know, so much of what we look at in life and the things that, whether they irritate us or bother us, we just think, oh, that's just life. But Satan is using those things. If I always walk by my child and say, your shoes are untied and I kick their shoes every day. Now, that doesn't happen, but there's many things like that, and every day I kick the shoe, your shoes are untied. There's this, there's this familiarity in people and in homes where we know how to push each other's buttons. We know how to, if something happens, we don't quite like it, say, oh, you know what, I know how to get mom. All I just do is this and this. Or I know how to get dad or sister or brother. There's ways and things that we can do that just get under our skin so fast. We react in ways that are over the top sometimes because you're constantly kicking my shoe. Satan's at work in these things. We think of them as personality differences. Oh, you know, kids, but Satan's at work in these things. He wants to discourage at every level he can. We have to recognize when he's working in us. When I'm short-tempered, because I've seen this 37,000 times with my children, and yet again, really? And my reaction is over the top and bigger than it should be because maybe I haven't taught the right lesson, but instead now I'm just reacting because Satan wants me to just explode and have a problem. In churches, 
Satan rubs his hands every Sunday morning saying, what can I do today? How can I discomfit those that are going? How can I create a divide or create a stir or create a problem? Camp. He loves showing up at camp because we all come with such a great desire to serve the Lord and we're sequestered here. We're away from the world. He's, oh man, I can create through a few little situations, I can create a stir. Maybe I'll have some brothers get up and suggest praying like this today just to make you uncomfortable. It's the kind of work that he does. And Satan is the best discouraging you and me. What does scripture say repeatedly in the New Testament especially? Edify, 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 which is build up. Satan's mantra is discourage, discourage, discourage. If you are discouraged, whether it's in church or at home, it's probably Satan's doing. It's probably his doing. Recognize that. We want you to recognize that he's at the root of so much, if not all of this. Like Christ feeds on love and joy and encouragement, Satan feeds on discouragement and despair and destruction. He loves those things. The last part we put on the list, in our minds, in our hurt, in our hearts, and the list goes on and on. We wrestle, like the verse we put up, we wrestle because we're still connected to the flesh. We live in the spirit, those of us that are Christians, we want the spirit to rule in us, but we're still tethered to the flesh. I once, I use this in a sermon, so if some of you heard this, it just comes to me right now. We were once in Florida, just a short illustration, and we were looking into the intercoastal where my parents had a place, and we saw a fish swimming, and it was tangled up in a fishing line. And in the fishing line was a dead fish. And this fish couldn't swim very good because he was tethered to this dead, rotting corpse. And in the world, that's kind of like we are. We're living in the spirit, but we're still tethered to the flesh. And it wants to drag us down, discourage us in so many ways. I want to show you this little church. Yeah, it's nice. Nice, man. You know, it's a church out in a field. What about that church? <laughs> I want to bring my wedge along. Because it's the better tool, man. I would have to disagree. Because this little church, what it needs is a little hammer. Hammers are good for certain things, my son. You're no, so young. No, 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 no. You've not been down the road with The me. way you attack is, as this government put it, with shock and awe. I will admit to you that on occasion, shock and awe are phenomenal, really discouraging. But I want to show you something that you're maybe not aware of. You see this tool? It's phenomenal. You use this every day. But what's cool about this tool is sometimes we start off with a wedge that's much thinner. It's like this. No, that takes too that's long. No, no, no. Oh. You know what this little church needs? Um, in Satan's eyes, is the pastor to go through a little bit of difficult time. That can be effective. You know, that everybody sees he's human too. And that they can say, well, our pastor, he's got some struggles himself, and he's trying to teach us. 
I would, I would prefer disrupting them in a slow, subtle way. It might take us a year or two. But, but listen, the wedge starts so thin, but after a while, you know what happens to the wood? You know, look at your, look at your damage here. It's somewhat substantial. Thank but, you. But my tool, my tool, my friend, can cut that thing right in half. Right in half. I got an idea. What's that? What if? What if? I see where you're going. What if? We work together? Absolutely. You're a genius. I've taught you well. We laugh. But we all see the illustration. We all see the illustration because we represent areas of focused attack from the devil. I've often told our, our little church down in Florida, I, I would sometimes confess and say, I feel like the target for Satan's arrows is bigger on me today. That he has a bigger target to shoot at. That we are his prime target. You see, we that have been purchased by the blood of Christ, he has a special place for us. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, they're the prime attack. Because when he makes a Christian fall, it makes that louder thump. He is happier when he takes a Christian down. The sledge has so many benefits. It comes with a wallop. It comes with sickness. It comes with discord. And it works every time. You don't know, but this is heavy. It might look light, but this thing is eight pounds of pure force. And sometimes we feel so strong, and this piece of wood looks like us, looks strong, but with just a few swings, we see its damage to us. The wedge, so much more subtle. Such a clean break it can make in things. And the beauty is, you don't really see it coming. It starts off like a piece of paper, then two sheets of paper. If I asked you to rip a sheet of paper in half, everyone in the room would not even bat an eye. What about five sheets? What about ten? What about a ream? have another quote I want to read from the screw tape letters, which is letters between two demons. Listen to this. You will say that there are, these are small things, small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember that the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, which is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided they are cumulative in their effect, and at the, at, uh, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slopes, oft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. 
we want to revert back to our illustration this morning. We talked about it quite a bit and um, thought about the idea of this notion of raising up holy hands in prayer. When I said that this morning, and everyone's hands were raised, had I started praying at that moment without giving you warning, tell me honestly how you would have felt. Be, please be honest. Uncomfortable? Awkward? Wonderful? What? Vulnerable. Overjoyed about stepping out. Okay. And I, I knew I knew there would be a lot of a lot of ranges of that, but I want to explore uncomfortable a little bit because Satan Satan loves uncomfortable. Why uncomfortable? And there's there's fair reason for it. Why uncomfortable? Okay. Well, but it's not something that we do. Right. But we have to get past the uncomfortable to get to where God wants us to be. We have to evaluate change and evaluate why is it uncomfortable. And Brother Rob brought out, it's uncomfortable because we don't do that. Uncomfortable. Why else were you uncomfortable? Exactly. And I, that's exactly kind of where I want to go. For those of you that were uncomfortable, tell me why you were uncomfortable with that notion that we broached. So simply because I'm not used to it. Why else? Precisely, precisely. And that's, that's kind of one of the... Because what's, what's the group that's all about this? Are we charismatics? We are not! And I know that I've heard that argument in the past. We don't do that. That's another group. We don't want to be associated with that group. And we're uncomfortable because we've never done it. And that's another group's thing. What's the dilemma, though? Ah! (laughs) And you know, Glenn and I... We talked about this at some length. We wanted to be sensitive. And that's why we didn't actually have a prayer at that moment. Because we're not here to be bombastic and create a problem. But we wanted to broach it. I actually preached about this after many years of thinking about it. And I want to just share a little bit about that. And it wasn't that I want to I dramatically overhaul what we do. But the dilemma is... Praying with holy hands upraised is biblical. And I said, I don't want to start doing it in church because I'm not comfortable with it. But I said, I have done it at home because it's biblical. And you know what's neat about it is that while many times um, we pray kind of clenched up like this, when you, when you do this, and I don't know, there's different ways to do it, but I've had situations that were a real burden. And I was like, I was like offering that person, you've got to take this from me. I'm not going to hold it to my chest anymore. I'm saying, you have to take this. Take this off my hands because I can't do it by myself. And you're praying like that. And someone mentioned the word vulnerable. Yeah. 
So I encouraged those in North Face, I want you just to try it. Just to see if there's a reason that the Bible says it. Explore it. And there may come a day where in front of camp, we'll pray that way. I don't want it to be this week. Probably not next year, because I don't wanna I don't wanna have your you riled up and angry. Maybe, maybe, I have, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we have to talk about it some more. But the idea of biblically exploring it and talking it over instead of immediately saying, no, no, no. We, Gary, I agree. We're not charismatic. We're not going there. Doesn't mean that we can't take one element of what the charismatics have done and say, you know what? Maybe there's something to this. Not because other people do it, because the Bible said it. The Bible has to be our supreme and only source of redirecting where we're going. <laughs> They're probably praying, this guy's arms are getting heavy. Absolutely. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We look at some of these tools that Satan uses. We've highlighted the, sweat, the sledge and the wedge. We see that he has an entire arsenal that he can use against us in a very personal way. You know, as we brainstorm this, uh, we, we got to talk every week. And if you've felt the same emotions I felt sometimes, that sometimes you feel like you're down, and other times you feel like you're up. See, and in those times when I felt I'm up, I've almost considered, wow, I, I, I'm, I'm not being attacked right now. Have you ever felt that? Do we believe that Satan ever takes a break from using one of these on us? Never. When we die. Thank you. We never have a hiatus from being attacked by the devil. I've wanted to feel that way because I've wanted to feel that I'm so protected by the Spirit, but I haven't been there. I know there are many accounts that we share within our fellowship of those that are passing on and they felt the presence of angels holding off the attack of the devil. And that they could say, even with a physical body, Satan can't touch me anymore. It is a fallacy to believe that we will be never under attack by the devil until we can give this flesh up. Quick story to tell you about how things can turn on us. And doing this uh, planning with Glenn, we were talking and I... I shared an experience with them, but I'll share briefly with you that that was a moment where maybe I didn't expect it, and I really didn't realize it until we talked about it, that that in a situation that I was in, I, I got turned, and it turned into me, my heart, going in the direction of Satan's will. My son's played some flag football. End of the season, they were in a tournament, won their first game, was great. Second game was going to be typical because it was the best team in the league, and I pretty much knew that we couldn't beat them. Um, but we went in with a good attitude. We 
we're going to do the best we could. And um, at halftime, we were down a couple scores, and, and um, we were about to score right before halftime. And if you know anything about football, which me may not, you know, it's about passing and catching the ball. And um, the quarterback threw the ball to the, young, the smallest player on our team. In the end zone, it would have been a touchdown. We'd been down by one score. And a guy from behind, this is flag football, jumped over the guy, knocked the ball down, and flattened the kid. And I went to the ref like, what? This is not tackle football. What's going on? And I, I was calm. But I said, that, that's not right. She said, well, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was not uh, screaming. I said, well, you know, that doesn't look like tackle, uh, flag football to me. You know, what's the deal? She said, well, he got a piece of the ball, and the rest is incidental contact. So the half ended, we were down two scores, I got the boys together, I said, boys, I want you to understand, it's really important that we block their passes, but everything else is incidental contact. <laughs> that's what we were told. I'm just, that's the rule that I didn't realize existed. So the game went on, and the game kind of got out of hand, and we were down by probably four touchdowns, and I started to let different kids play quarterback just because they wanted to. It's kind of like, let's just have fun and have a good attitude in the midst of losing this game. It's not the end of the world, so... The game was winding down, and the one kid, uh, they're generally the team, I didn't have a bad feeling for it, but the one kid um, that, that flattened our kid um, had a bandana. I will lovingly refer to him as Bandana Boy. Bandana Boy was, was pretty big, and he was very quick to be exultative in his, you know, yeah, all that kind of stuff, you know. So um, game's winding down, literally about one or two plays left, clock's winding down, and a kid playing quarterback, not that good at it. He throws a ball into the middle of the field, and who is it going towards? Ben, of course, it's going right towards Bandana Boy. And my heart is singing, like, you know, we're losing the game anyway, but to end the game on that kind of a play would be so discouraging, so demoralizing, because I know what's going to happen. Bandana Boy's going to do his little ostrich dance, and it's going <laughs> to... And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw something. A player from our team, won't mention any names, <laughs> streaking with great exuberance in the direction of this boy. And my heart lifted just a tad. But I, I saw that the, the distance was so great. And I thought, I, I just don't know. He might get there too late. And in fact, the ball got into the hands of Bandana Boy. And a split second later, a hand rushed in, knocked the ball free, and then I was overjoyed. <laughs> because following the ball being knocked away, you know, massive incidental contact. <laughs> flattened. And I was joyous. And I said to Glenn, you know, as much as it's a funny story, and I like telling it, and there's, honestly, there's still a part of me that has great satisfaction in it. I, I admit it, but really, it was kind of like, it's really like a vengeful kind of a, it's really, Satan really wants me to have that moment. And I'm trying not to have it. But as much as my attitude throughout the game was good, that I was really happy that that happened. And it shows you, that it doesn't take a whole lot to take a situation and start to turn it. Start to turn it. And make something that was good and fine tainted.
We've all been under the attack. We've all felt the turn. Have we allowed the turn to really take root in us? See, we see these hands. Now, one time they were free. You know, Tom's emotions of wanting to be a good coach was all for the better of the team. But in that turn, Satan uses emotions. He said, I'm going to take something and use it for my purpose. It's an ugly image, isn't it? It's a horrific image. Because it tells us that there have been points where there's been a deal. We dislike this image so much that there was only one that really showed us. Who knows this? Who knows this? What is it? All correct answers, yeah. Satan wants to bind us. Satan wants to hold us down, use us for his will, and in any situation, turn it for him. God uses a completely different approach. You know, as we talked about this image, why is it so powerful? Why is it so powerful? Why is it such a stark difference to that hand with those long nails pulling the arm? Sorry? His hand is out. It's reaching. Good friend of mine, Rob Freund, talked about something years ago and it's just stuck with me. When is Satan unsuccessful? He used a term years ago and called it spiritual hygiene. Do you remember that? He doesn't even remember. That's how (laughs) I remember. What does spiritual hygiene mean? When I say those words, what does that bring to your mind? Spiritual hygiene, throw it out. Cleansing your hands. Cleansing was twice. Daily washing. In the Word. Sanctified living. Maintenance. I love that word. We all have vehicles. Bacteria free. Back to the vehicles for a second. We we, we don't purchase a vehicle thinking it's going to be the one for the rest of our lives. The tires wear out. Uh, the, The brakes start going down. Depends on what type of vehicle it might break down more than others. There's maintenance that needs to go into it. Perfect. When is Satan least effective? You know what we thought of? We thought of Eastern Mennonite University. One week a year. AC campers. So much prayer. So much preparation. So much hope goes into this week. And we feel different when we're here, do we not? We can discuss things that are more difficult to discuss. We ask those that have felt the feeling of the Spirit to sit and to pray and to counsel in year after year what the souls find. An opportunity to sit, to consider, to pray, to counsel. When is Satan least effective when we as a people cleanse ourselves, come to him, are washed by the word in prayer together for one purpose, to praise him. And for us, we thought of Eastern Camp, a beautiful opportunity to do that together as a church. We'll be about camp.
is that we come together with a lot of people, a lot of people that are Christians, many that aren't, but a lot that are, to be inspired, to be together with brothers and sisters that lift us to a higher level, that elevate our understanding of who God is and, and reckon, help us recognize the standing of who we are. And in terms of overcoming these the sledge and the wedge issues, the big question we have to ask ourselves is when we go home, who are we hanging around? Are we aspiring and hanging around Christians that are, that are powerful and are teaching us things? Or are we spending a lot of time in circles, whether it's people from the world or other Christians that are dragging us down? Let's, you know, this is not my idea of a warrior. This is not, in a spiritual sense, someone that I want to aspire to, but a lot of the times, this is who I am. I'm, oh man, I'm just tired, i gotta, got to go home and rest, and I'm talking spiritually now. And I don't want to leave out the ladies in the group. Come on, come on! Let's get rid of that. Let's go somewhere else. I found this image, and I love it. Because these are the kind of aspirational images that I like to look at. He's First of all, he's riding on the Lion of Judah. He's blindfolded. Because God knows the way. He's got the sword in his hand, the shield, all those kind of things. It's a beautiful image. We have to ask ourselves, who am I aspiring to be? It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? One of the things we talked about when it comes to overcoming the sledge and the wedge and the fiery inferno that Satan wants us to be in is we have to look at church life. This is how some people go to church. Oh, they're comfortable. They're looking out on the beautiful greenness of the field. Take their jacket up, but they still got their suit on and their fancy shoes. Could be me on Sunday, frankly. The problem is this guy is a churchgoer He's an observer. He shows up, looks around. He sees church, and he evaluates it like this. My showing up is my duty. That's my service to the church. I'm showing up. But that's a problem. Because, you know, this guy, he really doesn't have a whole lot to do with that green field. He just shows up and looks at it. Here's what God wants out of us. This is how we should look at church. On our knees, in the dirt, tilling the soil. God gives the increase, but we're in there doing the work that he wants us to do. See, the big difference between these three people and the other guy is these people have ownership in their fellowship. You don't want the sledge and the wedge to destroy your fellowship. You and I have to take ownership in that church. That's what ownership looks like. And you know what? The one guy in the middle looks like he's giving his instructions. This guy on the one side looks like he's going to bring over the heady, heavy potted soil. And the woman's probably going to be like, you know what? I'm going to manage the fruit when it's all said and done. I don't know, but the fact of the matter is we have to go to church with the mindset of instead of showing up at this beautiful garden and walking around with our hands in our pockets, no, we're part of the gardening team of that facility, of that enterprise. And our knees are dirty. Our hands are dirty. We're looking around as, you know what? I'm not really great at the planting, but I've got strong arms I can prune. Or I can do this, or I can do that. The key, the key is ownership. 
And when you go home to your church, I'm presuming most of you are, are dirty need Christians. Dirty need Christians. That's a beautiful phrase. And if you go home, and there's people that show up in a suit and sit in that chair and overlook and say, wow, I showed up today. It was nice. We have to find a way to encourage them to take ownership. Even a new person that comes to our church for the first time, when they look around, they may show up in a nice suit and sit in the chair. But the idea is for them to say, you know what? Sooner or later, there's going to be part of this that you're going to get engaged in. You have to become an owner of this church. God owns us. We have to own the church. We often talk about success as a church. And, and I've had experience to be in a big church. I've had experience to be in a small church. And we often define what is success. That looks like success to me. Christians working together, as Tom brought out. Working, seeding, planting, watering. And if this is what we're able to do for the Lord, he's going to do something that Satan can never overcome. That's new life. As much as Satan can and will attack us, he cannot stop God from bringing souls to him. There are fundamental truths. And we wanted to leave this form. We wanted to leave our preparation knowing that as powerful as Satan is, he can never stop God. And that he will, until he calls us all home and finishes this earth, there will be new life. That was a beautiful comfort to me because we talked about some difficult things. But to always remember that God will be victorious. We have five minutes for questions, comments, corrections. <laughs> yeah. If you don't feel his impacts, then he's already got a hold on you. Thank you, Mike. God's love is critical, and that he cannot overcome God's love. Thank you, Brother Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rob, go ahead, then we'll go to Uncle Bob. And... You mentioned earlier about how there are times when you, you feel like you're not being attacked. Yeah. And, and I related with that because you and I talked about something for a long time. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but think that I'm, there may be times that I, I'm always under attack by the devil, but that doesn't always mean that his attacks are getting me. The times when I am weakest, the times when I am weak, that's when God comes to Yeah. And I thought of the scripture with the shield, you know, the image of the shield with the arrows in it, but you're still okay. And that's the shield that's doing its, its, its work as intended. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Uncle Bob, and then we have a comment here. He's in the world. Absolutely. Thank you. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a tough question to answer. But I'll, I'll tell you this that I know, is that there's times where um, a test comes from the Lord, and we allow a certain attitude towards it to fester. And it can become very much a, a test that we fail because Satan has a desire to, to destroy us through it. You know, on those coattails in Job, it seemed like the two were not mutually exclusive. The test of the Lord came through allowance of Satan's yeah. attacks. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. It seems that it's really, whether the test is from the Lord or Satan, if you can say that, uh, it's really your, our response to it. So I don't know that it matters so much, but really it's, it's that, that loving, caring, godly attitude. Whatever is coming at us, if we have the right attitude, then it doesn't matter. What and, and that goes to the discussion we had about raising up holy hands. You know, you can, you can go home from that situation, had I done that, have we done that? And, and um, Brother Gary could say, you know what? This is not who we are. And instead of, and I'm, obviously I'm not, Putting this on you, Gary, but that, that's an argument I've heard a lot. And you could easily have that, uh, you could talk with the group and say, you know what, these guys are just trying to change us to be more charismatic, blah, blah, And you could have had an entire negative discussion about how Tom and Glenn are rabble-rousers and they're just trying to divide us and make us like charismatics. That could have been a response. Whereas the other response is, you know what, it does say it in Scripture, and I'm uncomfortable with it, let's explore it and figure out what the answer is it's really all about how we respond and are we responding based on catering to Satan saying, you know, we, we may, um, uh, you can, you can, it, it can be a personality thing. Maybe Gary, I love you and you know me pretty well. So maybe Gary's got an issue with me. And the fact that I'm doing this, it's really not about scripture or not. It's like hurting is really pushing me the wrong way and I don't like it. So I'm going to resist it because it's hurting. And that's wrong. I mean, so we really have to look at our, un- our discomfort, our situation, and say, what is really the Spirit of God dictating in this situation? What is, what's the root of by resistance or whatever to it? So. And like, to keep that going, kind of, I mean, I absolutely love Romans 8, 28. You know, all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to purpose. And I'm convinced that, like, whether you see it as, like, a trial or just something coming at you, like, it's all about that perspective. Because... The way I like to describe it is things happen, sin is in this world, that's a fact. But whether it becomes a growing pain, something that you grow stronger in, or an injury, depends totally on where you stand. Should you stand on God and His truth, He will show you the way out of it, and that can become a witness then to others, strengthen your testimony, and then turn more people back. Absolutely. And also, I like kind of with this whole concept to think about Psalm 91, which is just all about God's protection. And it says, like, a thousand may fall on your uh, left side and ten thousand by your right hand, but it shall not come near you. I'm also convinced that while the enemy and Satan will attack us, that through God's spirit, even though the attack comes and it hits us, the effect won't sit. And then people look at that and they see us forgiving. They see us loving when other people are hating us. And in effect, that attack didn't stick. It bounced back off and it goes right back at the end. Thank you. Thank you. Brother Vic and then... Yes. There are five question words. What, where, when, who, but why is the granddaddy of them all? And is it, do I put them up because those guys do it? Or do I put them down because we don't do it? This 
not only hands, it's a lot of things. This, this in the Bible means laziness. <laughs> and uh, there are many other things. It's why we do it. Is the Almighty, is the Holy Spirit in the center of my relationship? Amen. Or is it because that's the way we do it, or that's yeah. the way we don't do it? Yeah. Thank the you. Word of God, that's the guide, right? We'll wrap up now. You see the weeds when you're on your knees, not when you're like walking by. Right? We should probably wrap up, but thank you for uh, participating and for putting up with us. <laughs>